welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz. Today, we're looking at property search trends and how to make working from home work for you. If there's one thing on the minds of cooped up Australians, it is space. How to utilise the space we have in our homes, how to carve out our own in a crowded household and where to look for it next. The pandemic has no doubt had an impact on the property market in terms of prices and process disruption, but it's also having an effect on what buyers are searching for in their next home. Later on in the show, we'll be talking to interior designer Lauren Keenan for some practical tips on improving your working from home setup. But first, with me today is Domain journalist Kate Burke to talk about the trends she is seeing in how people are searching for property. Kate, I'm so delighted to chat with you today. Thank you for joining me. Thanks very much for having me here, Alice. Now, Kate, what home features are you seeing a rise of in terms of what people are looking for on Domain in terms of the the searches that they're doing? So in recent months, we've seen a big increase in people searching for properties which offers separate areas in which to both work and unwind. The biggest change that we've found is the increase in people looking for properties with home offices. Now, nationwide searches for offices at home have tripled with the biggest increases in Victoria and New South Wales. And that really goes hand in hand with the fact that many of us have been working from home for the first time in the last few months. Homes are also serving as classrooms for, you know, the kids at home doing schooling as as well as university students. So people are really seeking out that extra office space. Looking at our keyword search data, we can also see there's been a big jump in people looking for homes with balconies. That's up more than two thirds on the number of searches we were seeing before the lockdown. And as you can imagine, with people spending more time on their home, they're really craving those outdoor spaces. So searches for gardens and courtyards are also up about 50%. And another interesting change has been the number of people searching for retreats with searches up 25% nationally. So retreats, that's sort of like a space that just gives the family a, a bit of a break from each other in busy households, particularly in larger households where it can feel a bit like you're all living on top of one another. And agents report that that's creating a space for either, you know, the teenage kids to get away from the parents or even the adults to get some space away from the kids who might have moved back home. Mm. It's so interesting, Kate. This is almost like the antithesis of open plan living, isn't it? I think the home office search in Victoria has gone up 830%, which I'm sure must be sort of tipping towards having another lockdown. That demand for it in Victoria is probably higher than anywhere else in the country. I notice it's up 146% in New South Wales, though. It is quite staggering knowing, I think, you know, almost six months ago, having a study or a formal office was something that people really didn't even value that much, did they? It's sort of always been one of those things that's like considered a nice to have or if you were perhaps buying like quite a large family home, you might look to have a study or home office. But for the majority of buyers, it wouldn't have been on the agenda. But I guess times are changing and the fact that so many of us are working from home and, you know, you could have multiple people working from home in the one household. I guess it's it's really putting the study and the home office further up the checklist, you could say. Like I know in Victoria particularly, obviously, because that's been quite hard here. I think our latest figures for July so far showing about 3,600 searches already this month for properties with home offices and that's compared to about only 100 back in February. So it's really quite a stark difference in what people are looking for. 
It'll be interesting to see if vendors over the next few months sort of respond to that and perhaps converting when they're getting a house ready for sale, if they convert a bedroom to an office. Do you know what I mean? Because I mean, often it is just the way you present that in a listing can be quite flexible, I suppose. And I wonder if people will sort of see the benefit of saying, I'll knock off a bedroom and make it three bedrooms plus a study rather than, you know, six months ago, what might have been sold as a four bedroom house. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if it does, I suppose, shift the change to marketing. I mean, already on listings, we often see a fourth room, which is typically called a study, if it doesn't have perhaps the the right amount of space or a window because they can't call it a bedroom. But I think we might start to even see people trying to pass off a bedroom as a study because really it can serve as both as opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. Now, on a similar note, Kate, obviously the need for fresh air during periods of lockdown has never been more (laughs) paramount. Have you seen any uptick in people looking for outdoor spaces during the pandemic? Absolutely. We know how important getting out outdoors is for our well-being and that's obviously been pretty hard to do in recent months. So as I've said, we've seen quite a jump in people looking for outdoor spaces, whether that's a balcony, a courtyard or even a garden. And I think that's definitely something that's going to stay front of mind for some time. The biggest jump for outdoor spaces was in New South Wales with demand for balconies up 84% and courtyards and gardens up 74%. I was speaking to one agent in Sydney's Northwest yesterday who was saying she'd actually found quite a spike in buyers, mostly young families granted, but looking for properties to upgrade to, or they're coming from a unit or a townhouse, wanting that home with the backyard. And the buyers were saying that their time spent in lockdown had really made them reassess what they wanted in a home. And often that green space or a park that they would usually go to was sort of off limits during lockdown and the play equipment was definitely off limits. So they wanted to get their own space for the kids to run around. It's certainly also really good information for future buyers or first-home buyers or investors to think about that those added benefits that people are really looking for at the moment to bear that in mind. Maybe it is better having a smaller place if it means you've got a little garden or something. Or as you say, go further out. I think it's really good food for thought for that buying group in particular. Uh, Kate, what's the sentiment from buyers, agents and, and real estate agents? Are they witnessing a shift in priorities of what their clients are searching for as well? Absolutely. Yeah, both real estate agents and buyers agents that I've spoken to, particularly in recent weeks, have reported a shift in what people are looking for. As I said before, a lot of these features were once considered nice to haves and they're becoming more of a priority. And there's really this sense that isolation has highlighted the shortcomings of our own homes and really force people to assess whether their living situation is what's suitable for their needs. And what they're reporting on the ground is really quite reflective of our search data changes. Often while property searches can be quite aspirational, it means they don't always translate to what people are buying, but agents are reporting an increase in interest in home offices or separate living areas, increased focus on balconies and gardens. One agent in Melbourne a buyer's agent actually that I was speaking to recently. She flagged that, you know, the months in lockdown and especially with people in Melbourne being in lockdown again had made people a lot less willing to compromise an internal space and that she was seeing buyers at the moment, particularly families, wanting to have two living areas to keep the kids in it. 
adults apart for schooling and work and looking at floor plans that might have, you know, had the parents' bedroom further away from the kids' bedroom so that noise isn't travelling through the house and they're not all distracting each other. Another one which wasn't tracked in this data but that agents reported was sort of renewed focus on internet connectivity. With all of us being at home, that's becoming more of a priority as well. It really does sort of nod to that idea of having a flexible floor plan and a flexible living environment if one can, doesn't it? So that whatever lays ahead in the future, that people have options in changing things should they need to and not want to actually move themselves. I think it also sort of raises the issues around medium and high density living. And we've talked a lot about the fact of that sort of European and and New York style influence of that desirability of apartment living in Australia has been really on the rise. But I wonder if, if we're going to see a shift away from that and those people would prefer a townhouse perhaps or as you said earlier perhaps go further out rather than having the convenience of being in the inner city. It will be interesting to see if this sort of reverses that trend we have been seeing and pushes people back to, you know, that great Australian dream, that typical house on a quarter acre block. As you said, we have been seeing, you know, more medium density, more high rise living happening, particularly in our major cities. I think that will continue, but there will be just more renewed focus on making sure that we design these properties the best way that we can and ensuring that we're building homes that do offer more flexibility. I wonder if the large open plan living might become a bit of a thing of the past. I agree with you. I agree. (laughs) After this, with people just, you know, wanting to have separate spaces for separate activities and wanting properties to be able to work harder for us and be more adaptable. And I imagine that the impact of how long this pandemic drags on for, how long we're working from home, home for, that sort of thing will kind of determine future trends that we might see in this space. Mm. Kate, that was really fascinating. Thank you for your time and thanks for sharing those insights with me. It was really great. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Now we're going to hear from someone who has had quite a dysfunctional working from home experience, a situation that I'm sure will resonate with some listeners. Hi, my name's Jude and I live in a two-bedroom house in the inner west of Sydney. I've got two kids, one's nine and one's 12, and I had a very interesting working from home experience with my kids doing their schooling at home while I was trying to work online. What I'm doing for work is I'm currently teaching online video editing And I was doing that face-to-face and then COVID hit and in Sydney. So trying to do that via Zoom. So we'd all have the internet going, which didn't help because, of course, mine kept dropping off and I would lose connectivity. When I was doing my lectures, as I currently still am, they're three hours long. So I would have to say to the kids, right, I'm not with you now for the next couple of hours. You need to sort it out yourself. And some of the stuff that they were doing was quite straightforward in terms of their learning online, but some they needed guidance or help with. And I, unfortunately, was not really able to provide that. And of course, they wouldn't just do their work. They'd yell out for me and try and, you know, ask me to make their food and (laughs) whatever else they could possibly think of. A couple of times when I was teaching and my kids were sort of yelling out at me and not quite getting that I couldn't just drop everything and come and either take a photo of their work and send it into the teacher now because the deadline had hit. You know, they didn't tell me three hours before. They told me 
at the time. So I'd be working away and there would be this stress. And sometimes I would just say quietly to my students who were online, I won't be a second, I just need to sort something out. And I'd mute myself. And then I would turn around and either be really nice to the children and say, I'll be with you in a minute, darling. Or if they'd been annoying... (laughs) and I was a bit stressed, I would turn around and go, will you stop it? I am busy. I've told you, you know, please. Except one time I thought I hit the mute button and I hadn't. And then when I came back, (laughs) I looked up and I saw they were giggling and I saw that the mute button was not actually hit. And I said, was I muted? And they all just went, no, but we totally get it. And I then had to think back, what did I say? You know, look, it was mostly okay. But, you know, sometimes you do have to have those moments where you have to be a little bit more forceful. And um, unfortunately, I wasn't muted for that one. (laughs) I'm pretty happy that the kids are back at school now, and I'm sure they are too, because it was very difficult being a bit caged in the house. So, yeah, I really feel for people who are in lockdown again. But I feel like, you know, I'm starting to not do as much you know, in terms of having people over or things like that. Just, you know, in Sydney, just starting to think there's more ramping up of infections. So I do feel for people that have gone back into lockdown, for example, in Melbourne, because I know how difficult that is. But I think it's also very important. So it's, it's tricky. If you're somebody who has been working from home for the better part of a year, you'll know there's a fine line between loving and hating it. Those working from home depend on an environment and a routine that promotes productivity, but not at the expense of their well-being. Here to discuss some ways to make the most out of the situation is Lauren Keenan, who's an interior stylist at Lauren Keenan Home and hosts the podcast At Home with Lauren Keenan. Lauren, it's so lovely to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Alice. Great to talk with you today. Now, I'm hoping you can shed some light on how we can create better working from home environments. I think we all thought this was going to be a short term thing, but, you know, Victoria is now in a second lockdown and I know many other states are really taking their time in going back to the office. So people are working from home a lot longer than anticipated. So I wondered if we could kick off talking about what are some of the barriers to productivity that make working from home harder than what it should be? Well, look, there are a lot of barriers. I think you can break them into sort of two categories. There are physical barriers and there are mental barriers. I think just mentally, there's a temptation of being at home. So, you know, you might be inclined to whip around and do a bit of cleaning or turn the TV on in the middle of the day. You might be homeschooling if you're in Victoria, or you might actually be one of those people who likes going to the office, who likes separating work and home. So those are sort of the mental barriers that people are coming up against. But then there's also the physical barriers. So it's different for everybody, but you might be sharing the space now with your partner or your children or your flatmates, and you need to determine a schedule for who's working where and when. So you might not have a designated working area that's set up for productivity. Um, It's especially hard, I think, if you live in an apartment or a smaller home. But I think we just need to remember not to be too hard on ourselves. I think Mm. if we accept that our working environments have all changed significantly and, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. I think if you have some way of setting a bit of a schedule for yourself, it might be, yes, that your work hours have changed, but maybe you like to work really early in the morning before the kids get up and then you can have a few hours with them and then work again in the evening. You know, it's about 
ascertaining what works for you and your family and just accepting that things are different and that's okay. Mm. Now, Lauren, this is the biggest question at the moment that I keep hearing people ask, and I'm asking it for myself, complete bias here. For those who don't have a dedicated home office, how can we go about creating a productive workspace with the right furniture without it costing an arm and a leg? The first port of call should be to have a chat with your employer and find out if there's anything that they can do to help you. It might be that you bring your office chair home with you or a larger screen. I know some employers are actually even purchasing new items and having them delivered to employees. So it's definitely worth asking if they can assist you with any of that stuff to set up a home office space. Or perhaps even not speaking to an accountant about what you can claim on your tax when it comes to setting up a home office. Correct. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people trying to make those claims this year and good on them they should be. Um, You need to look for a chair and table that are at the right height. So a lot of us tend to be working at the dining table these days, especially if we're sharing the space with another person. And dining chairs tend to be lower than what you'd sit at an office chair. And that can really wreak havoc on your neck and your back and just your general posture. So I think, um, you know, even simple things like putting a nice big cushion on the chair to lift you up a little bit is really going to help with making you more comfortable in the workspace. The other thing I really love is that there's been a number of companies who've had these amazing pivots of their business and they're now producing some fantastic home office furniture. I saw this and I thought it was so fabulous. They're local businesses, aren't they, in in, in many of the capital cities? Yeah, there's one in particular called Stage Kings and I actually um, interviewed them a few weeks ago for my own podcast and they were a big staging company that did big stage setups for sports events and concerts and and when the pandemic hit, basically they were out of business because nobody was going to be holding events like that for the foreseeable future. So they started making these really lovely Scandinavian-style desks that basically clip together so it's really easy to assemble, which is important. But also important is it's easy to take apart on the weekend or, you know, when you want to have a break from working. So looking for easy to use solutions at home that don't require you to go and buy this massive desk that hopefully you won't want to use again in six months. You might be back in the office by then and stuck with this large piece of furniture. Lauren, if anyone is like me, I really like to work having sort of beauty around me, I suppose, and having you know, things that I find inspiring or having a flourish of style somewhere around me. Do you have any recommendations for sort of cheap and cheerful items that people can purchase to have a big impact, either from a practical point of view or at least to add a bit of sort of style or oomph to their working environment? Yeah, look, definitely that's a good question. I think a plant is a really big thing for a little workspace. So, It helps to purify the air. Green life's been shown to improve mood and clarity. So that's a really simple one that you can just pop down to your local nursery or Bunnings or somewhere like that and get yourself a nice little plant. Then thinking about nice desk accessories, so like a nice leather mouse pad or a water jug to put in your space, making it a nice area that you're proud of, that you like to work in. And yes, maybe it's not the ideal setup, but these are the things that you've done for yourself to to make it a better space for you to be for the next, you know, two, three, four months, however long it might be. And what about artwork, Lauren? I, I'm, I'm very guilty of this. I will take down paintings in hotels that irritate me, hotel rooms, when I'm in my own space, and I do put them back. But I, I can't bear art that I don't like, and I will often 
reshuffle and rejig artwork in, in my own house, in my own environment. And I find that such an impactful way of changing colour and mood in a room by, by just switching paintings or, or prints around or photography. Yeah, look, sometimes just moving a couple of key pieces in your home really changes up the feeling completely. So, you know, if you've got a nice little work nook that you've you've set up for yourself, like you said, take an artwork off the wall or move a vase, little decor pieces, just just dot them around and you can change those up quite easily and yeah, I'd encourage people to have some fun with what they've got rather than necessarily going out and spending more money for things that they maybe don't need down the track. Another thing I did, my husband sort of somehow managed to book the conference room, we call it in our house, which was the dining room and was once the study. And um, he we flipped the table around because he was sort of in front of a window and the light coming in was really bad for video conferences. So we, we, just, we just changed the angle of the table and it made such a difference and he's now sort of got lovely natural light on him people can see him more clearly and I think the room just works in a better way for video conferencing you know it doesn't work when we're not video conferencing but that's the reality of life at the moment yeah (laughs) well everyone wants to make sure they've got a great zoom background right so that's that's an important one but look I think it's important to remember that the natural light's free so if there's some way that you can set up your workspace near a window then that's going to definitely keep you feeling a bit sharper and a bit more inspired about where you're working that day so um, I think your husband was onto a good thing there. Now Lauren finally what are your tips for ensuring we're prioritizing our well-being while usually stuck within those four walls how do we kind of make sure that well-being is at the forefront of our mind because I think for a lot of people we don't realize that we haven't thought about ourselves or how we're actually feeling until it's almost too late throughout the day you know what I mean like you know you get to get to three o'clock and think I haven't had enough water today or something but it's it's hard to catch up to that so how do we keep that at the forefront of our mind Lauren? Well, look, what I'm hearing from my clients and followers is that home is becoming more important than ever right now. So I think really focusing on making your home somewhere special and if you have the means to do it, then you might think about some of the things in your spaces that aren't working for you, whether that's layout or furniture or colour. But I think in the very least, keeping your spaces uncluttered and clean will really help with your mental clarity as well. And then I think from a work perspective, working from home, I think you need to set your work hours, whatever they might be, and and resist that temptation to dip back into work just because your computer or your phone's within easy access. If you're working on a laptop especially, packing it away at the end of the day and moving it to a different room, especially if you've been working in the dining room. Scheduling a lunch break is a really big thing. I know I like to go for a walk at lunchtime or I call or FaceTime a friend. So just structuring in those little things that give you that mental boost Uh, And one nice way to do that is to light a nice candle at the end of the day. I think that's a really good way to transition from work time to home time. And it really does promote some really nice relaxation and, and home fragrance can be really sort of powerful in changing our mood. Lauren, that's really interesting. Lots of food for thought there. I, I wonder if another few months from now we'll have we'll be even more wise about this or we'll be completely over it and wanting to, you know, <laughs> run back to the office, I, I suspect. That's how I feel at the moment. But um yeah, we've just got to we've just got to keep our chin up with it and um and keep plodding along. But Lauren, thanks for your time. Some really interesting observations there. My pleasure. Thanks, Alice. Before I sign off, I wanted to let you know about why we've decided to create this podcast. We know that property can be complex, baffling, and incredibly confusing. And that's why we want to unpack with you issues that matter without all the jargon, so you can really understand how they're going to affect you. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you want answered, please email us at propertyunpacked@domain.com.au. Thanks, and talk to you next week. 
You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. Property Unpacked is hosted by me, Alice Stoltz. This episode was produced by Alexandra Spangaro and Stephen Claxton with support by Danielle Janopoulos and Hayley Cools. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au. Thank you.